Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week we are reading Acts chapters 12 through 16. And just a quick overview before we dive a little bit deeper into these chapters. What you're going to see in these chapters is chapter 12, we have sort of the, the last focus on Peter. Up to this point, remember, we've had more of a focus on Peter and John and some of the other apostles. Chapter 12 is really the last chapter where that's going to be the case. Then starting in chapter 13... You're going to see Paul and Barnabas are commissioned for their first missionary journey. So they're going to go on that first missionary journey. And then toward the end of chapter 15, going into chapter 16, Paul will begin his second missionary journey. We're probably not going to get quite into the second missionary journey this time, but we'll talk more about that next week. Okay, so that's just a very quick overview. Now let's dive into this in a little bit more detail. So chapter 12, remember persecution at this point is raging in Jerusalem. Christians are, are facing all kinds of persecution. And it tells us in verse 2 in chapter 12 that James the Apostle is actually put to death. Now, to be clear, this is James, the brother of John. Okay, he's one of the 12, one of Jesus's inner circle. Remember, Jesus had those three that he was especially close to, Peter, James, and John. This is that James who was killed. This is not James, the brother of Jesus, who later wrote the book of, of James. Okay, so just wanted to be clear there. Now, this is actually the only death of an apostle directly recorded in Scripture. Now, Paul's death is certainly implied. He tells us that his death is near in 2 Timothy, but it's not actually recorded in Scripture. So this is the only place in Scripture that actually records the death of one of the apostles. But with that being said, there are many other historical sources outside of Scripture that record that, that most of the apostles were martyred. They were killed for their faith. And the, these are very reliable sources. We have good reason to to trust these sources. In, in most cases, some are more reliable than, than others. But we know that the apostles were, were willing to die for what they believed. And even critics of Christianity, even opponents of Christianity, they can't dispute that the disciples truly believed they had witnessed the risen Jesus. Because you don't die for something that you don't truly believe in. At some point, you would recant, but they never did. They were willing to die for what they believed, what they thought they had saw. But that's that's a whole podcast for another time. So moving back here to, to Acts chapter 12, like I said, James is killed. And then Peter is also arrested, and he's thrown in jail. And now he's awaiting a public trial. So he's in a, a seemingly impossible situation. It tells us he's chained between guards, and there are guards at the door, too. Okay, there's, there's no way out. Then in, in chapter 12, verse 5, it says the church, after they hear about this, they were earnestly praying, and God miraculously rescues Peter. Now, Herod, 
the one who had Peter arrested, is also killed. He doesn't give God the proper glory he deserves, and Herod is killed. And I love how the chapter ends here. It says, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. It continued to spread and flourish. This reminds us that the kingdom of God cannot and it will not be stopped. Even when the odds are seemingly stacked against it. Think about what the church must have been going through at this point. You have James, who's a very prominent figure, again, one of the inner circle of Jesus. He's killed. And then Peter, another key leader, another member of Jesus' inner circle, he's arrested and he's awaiting public trial, which is probably not going to go very well. And you have to start wondering, if you're part of the church at this point, what's going to happen? Is this whole thing going to fall apart? But we see that the gospel cannot be chained. And another point here, we've made this before, but another point is that God moves in response to his people's prayers. We see this all throughout the book of Acts. We have the church here. They're coming together. They're earnestly praying, desperately praying, and God moves. He rescues Peter. Now, I'm not saying he's always going to move in that specific way. But God responds to the prayers of his people. He responds when his people come to him in desperation and need. Prayer matters. Now, moving on to chapter 13, again, this is where we get into a transition in the book of Acts. We've been focusing more on Peter and John and some of the other disciples up to this point. Now the focus is going to be on Paul and his, his missionary journeys. So in, in chapter 13, the church in Antioch, Remember, we talked about the church in Antioch a little bit last week and how it was actually started by unnamed disciples, unnamed followers of Christ who were scattered as a result of persecution. They eventually made it all the way to Antioch. That's how the church was started. So now the church in Antioch, they're fasting, they're praying, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, says to set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work that he has for them, to set them apart. Now again, Remember, we, we see the name Saul being used here. This is after his conversion, obviously, and he's still being called by God, Saul. So remember, we said he has two different names. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. So just, just keep that in mind. So Saul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey here in, in chapters 13 and 14. And like I said, the start of, of Paul's second missionary journey is in chapter 16. And, and one thing I suggest is when you are reading about Paul's missionary journeys, it's it's very handy to have a map nearby. And many Bibles, if you go all the way to the back of your Bible, most Bibles will have some maps in the back. You may or may not reference those very often, but usually at least one of those maps is one of Paul's missionary journeys. It's a map of Paul's missionary journeys. And I find that helpful to maybe keep a a bookmark or something in there as you're reading through these different journeys. I I think it helps bring some perspective as you're reading through this, and it also helps bring some realism as well as you're you're reading about these journeys. Helps you realize that this really happened. These are real places, real people, real events. Or if your Bible doesn't have maps, you can also do a quick Google search. If you're savvy with with technology, you can do a quick Google search and and pull up a map of of Paul's missionary journeys pretty quickly. 
Now, getting to Paul's first missionary journey here, Paul and Barnabas, they start by going to the island of Cyprus. Again, if you have a map handy, you can see where that is. And then from there, they, they sail to the mainland. And at this point in chapter 13, it says in, in verse 13 that John, also called Mark, or John Mark, and again, this is another case of somebody with two different names, John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas to go back to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know exactly why, but this is going to be important later, okay? So keep that in mind. So Paul and Barnabas sail to the mainland. This would be like modern-day Turkey, and they travel through some different towns like Antioch and Pisidia, not to be confused with the other Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were commissioned. Again, this is why it's helpful to have a, a map handy. And then they also go to places like Iconium, Lystra, and, and Derby. And, and many of these towns are in a region of the Roman Empire known as Galatia. And you may recognize that name from the book of, of Galatians. We'll circle back to that in a little bit. But one thing I want to highlight during Paul's first missionary journey is his time in Lystra. And you can read about this in chapter 14 from about verses 8 to 20. And th- this is where the, the Jewish people, they get riled up. They're upset at Paul. They stone Paul. They drag him out of the city thinking that he's dead. And they leave him there. And then Paul eventually comes to. He gets back up and he goes right back into the city. Now, that story has always amazed me. Because it, it really demonstrates the determination of Paul. For many of us, if we're honest, we need a kick in the pants to do just about anything. Sometimes even to come to church on a Sunday morning, let alone share our faith with others or make disciples or use our spiritual gifts or or like Paul, go on a journey, go into a different context to make disciples, to share our faith. But they tried to kill Paul. And he could not be stopped. So how did he live like this? Well, first, I I think that he had a very big view of God. Remember, this is the same Paul who said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. He also said that he considers everything else rubbish or garbage compared to knowing Christ. He understood the incomparable worth of God. The incomparable worth and beauty of God. Your soul is meant to be ultimately satisfied in one thing. God. God himself. Not the things that God offers us, but God himself. Only God can satisfy your deepest longings. And Paul knew that. So Paul had a big view of God. But he also had a very clear sense of vision. He knew that God's vision for his life was to take the gospel where it had never gone before. And once he knew that vision, he could evaluate everything in his life by it. He would say, if this helps me fulfill my vision, I'm going to do it. If not, I'll avoid it. He had crystal clear clarity in his life. So I encourage you. If, if you don't have a clear sense of vision in your life, pray. Pray. Ask God to give you vision. Like I said, we see in the book of Acts that prayer precedes every big movement of God. 
What is the church doing before Saul and Barnabas are set apart on their missionary journey? They're praying and they're fasting. So I encourage you to do the same thing. Pray and even fast. Fasting, unfortunately, is is one of those things that many Christians don't do regularly. But Jesus actually assumes that we'll do it. He tells his followers in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when. He assumes that we'll do it. It's assumed just like prayer and giving and all the other things that believers are supposed to do. Fasting is a very tangible way that we can show our dependence on God. When we fast, we say, even more than I I long for food or for daily sustenance, I long for you, God. It's a reminder that only God himself can ultimately satisfy us. We're saying, I need you. I want more of you. Now, that's a, that's a bit of an aside there, a bit of a side point. Maybe we can do a future episode, an entire episode on fasting. But again, I, I encourage you to pray and to fast and to ask God to give you a clear vision for your life. Paul had a crystal clear vision in his life, and it made all the difference. Now, getting back to Paul's missionary journey, he and Barnabas, after visiting some of these different cities, they go back through and they check on the disciples that they've made up to this point. And what they're doing in each city, in each place, is first of all, they're, they're making disciples there, but they're also planting churches and they're establishing elders, elders and leaders in each of these churches to, to lead the churches. Then they, they circle back through and check on all these different churches that they've planted. And eventually they make their way back to Antioch, which is the end of their first journey. And the book of Acts tells us at the end of chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas stayed with the disciples in Antioch for a long time. We're not sure exactly how long, but for quite a while. Now, it's at this point that Paul most likely writes his first letter, what we know as the letter of Galatians. Now, remember, many of the cities that Paul visited on this first missionary journey were in the region of of Galatia, including cities like Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Well, after Paul plants churches in this region and he establishes elders, and then he and Barnabas leave, he gets word that these believers are already falling for a false gospel. There are false teachers saying that in order to be saved, believers have to be circumcised and they have to obey the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. And Paul hears about this and he's upset. So he writes a letter to the, to the churches in Galatia. Notice it's plural. There's multiple churches because he visited multiple cities in Galatia. So he writes a letter to the churches in Galatia. And this is the only letter where Paul doesn't really open with thanksgiving. You know, normally Paul opens his letters by thanking God for the people that he is writing to. And it's a very positive opening. But you don't see that here in this case. Paul jumps in. And he says that I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who you called, who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So the entire point of Galatians is Paul is emphasizing that we are saved by faith alone. Because again, these, these people are struggling with the idea that they have to follow the entire Old Testament law. They have to be circumcised. And Paul says, no. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Paul says that we are not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
So if, if you or anyone you know ever has doubts whether faith alone and Christ alone is sufficient to save us, read the book of Galatians because that's, that's what it's all about. Now, we'll get more into Galatians as we get there in our, our reading plan, but at least that gives you some of the context in which Paul wrote Galatians. And, and you can now understand why Paul is upset when he writes this letter because he had just planted these churches. He had just labored and spent so much time planting leaders and, and developing these churches, and now they're already turning to false beliefs. And then these same issues are what lead to the circumstances in Acts chapter 15. So there are tensions between the Jews and Gentiles. And again, that's what causes issues in in Galatia. What's happening is that many Gentiles or non-Jewish people are being included in the family of God. And the Jews are saying to them, in order to be saved, you have to follow our law. And you have to get circumcised. Again, this is the issue that the Galatians are facing. And this is becoming an increasingly widespread problem in the early church. So they actually hold a meeting to discuss this. It's what's known as the Jerusalem Council. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. And this happens probably somewhere around 49 or 50 AD. And one thing to keep in mind, I think this is significant. The book of Galatians deals with the exact same issues as the Jerusalem Council, but Paul never mentions the council in the letter. Which you would think if the council had already happened, it would have been a pretty important thing to to mention. So most likely Galatians was written before the council, which means that Galatians was probably written around 48 AD or so, right after the end of his, his first missionary journey. So if you ever hear somebody say that it took many decades or even centuries for the, the gospel message to be supposedly fabricated and developed into this legend over time. That's not true. Because here we have Paul in the book of Galatians teaching the full-blown gospel that we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And this is only a little over a decade after the life of Christ. And Paul makes it very clear in multiple places that what he's teaching is what he received from others. So the the gospel message can be dated even earlier than the book of Galatians. It can be dated right up until the point of of where Jesus actually died. So the followers of Christ, the early followers of Christ, they were teaching the gospel from the beginning. The gospel as we know it today was not fabricated over time. It was not a legend that developed over many centuries. It was taught from the beginning. But again, that's that's a whole other podcast episode. So going back to the Jerusalem Council, in this council, you've got apostles, you've got Peter and Paul and, and Barnabas, there's elders, there's Pharisees, and all sorts of bigwigs at this meeting. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at this meeting. And, and they're talking about what Gentile believers need to do. Do they need to follow the Old Testament law? Or do they not have to? And here's what they conclude. And and I think this can be a little bit confusing to us in our context today. So I want to explain this a little bit. They actually write a letter to the Gentile believers and they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So they include the Holy Spirit. This is not just something they came up with. This is is God-given. It seemed good to us or good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. 
You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And that's all they say. And again, I think that can be a little bit confusing to us today. But basically, they first of all confirm that we're saved by faith through grace alone. Peter, at one point, he stands up and he says, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they, meaning the Gentiles, are. We're all saved in the same way, and that's by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. But what about these other things that they list here? Well, it, it's important to be clear on what they're not saying. They're not saying, well, you don't have to keep most of the Mosaic law, but there are a few aspects that you have to keep. That's not what they're saying here. Again, they're telling us that we're not saved by, by works, by works of the law. Basically, they're telling Gentile believers, be aware of your witness to your, your Jewish neighbors. Be aware of how what you're doing affects your witness to the Jewish people around you. Understand that for Jews, blood caused defilement and consuming blood was, was strictly forbidden. So to avoid unnecessary offense, they tell the Gentile believers to abstain from blood and from eating anything that was strangled. Why? Because animals that are strangled haven't had their blood drained. Yeah, so that's why they tell them those couple of things. And also understand that in the Roman Empire, idol worship was a common source of meat. There, there would be leftovers from the, the sacrifices. And to the Jews, this meat was considered unclean. It was, it was associated with idols. So again, to avoid unnecessary offense, the apostles tell the Gentile believers to just avoid it. And the last thing that they say on here is avoid sexual immorality. Now, to us today, that might seem like a no-brainer, but it wasn't necessarily for someone with a pagan background. Sexual immorality was actually very commonplace in, in Gentile cultures to the point where it was almost the norm. So to sum up their message here, what they're saying is you're saved by faith alone, but don't do anything that will unnecessarily ruin your relationship with your, your Jewish neighbors. Be good witnesses to them and leave behind the ways of your pagan background, especially, especially sexual immorality. So that's really what they're saying here in the conclusion of the Jerusalem Council. Be good witnesses to your Jerusalem neighbors and leave behind the ways of, of your pagan past. So with that, as we wrap up, I want us to think about our own lives a little bit. Do we have a tendency to add to the gospel? We might not think that we do. We might say, oh yeah, we're, we're saved by faith alone. But do our lives demonstrate something different? Do we have a tendency to turn personal convictions into quote-unquote law for everyone? Or do we maybe think lesser of Christians who don't behave or dress or talk exactly like we do? And, and do we unnecessarily offend non-believers? Now, to be clear here, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have strong convictions. Of course we should. We absolutely should stand strong on truth. And the, the apostles agreed with that. But here's what we say at BAC. We like to say the gospel is offensive. Nothing else should be. We're okay if people are offended by truth, if they're offended by the word of God, okay? Because we're never going to compromise in that area. We're never going to back down from the truth. 
But we're not okay if people are offended by other things, by things like not showing kindness or not holding a door open or not being friendly. The apostles were constantly aware of their witness to others. There's one thing that Pastor Hines says that I think is so true. He often will, you'll hear him say, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talk talks louder than your talk talks. You got that? (laughs) Basically, it means this. Your life often speaks louder than your words. So does the testimony of your life support what you say verbally? Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that we can just rely on our lives to be a gospel witness. At some point, we have to use words to actually convey truth. The gospel is conveyed through words. But is your life consistent with your beliefs? Is your life consistent with your words? Are you unnecessarily offending those around you? You see, the apostles were always on mission in their lives. And they told the Gentile believers to do the same thing. Don't unnecessarily offend your Jewish neighbors. And we too should always be on mission and always be aware of what we're saying with our lives. God has placed you where you are for a reason. So I want to ask you, how can you be a better witness for Jesus Christ this week specifically? I want you to be thinking about that. Let's live with that same determination as Paul. The Paul who was stoned and dragged out of the city and then got right back up and marched back into the city. Let's live with that determination. Let's live with purpose and and live to glorify Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Now, one final comment here as we wrap up, just because we haven't really touched on chapter 16. At the end of chapter 15 and and into chapter 16, Paul starts his second missionary journey. But you're going to see there's a disagreement here between Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas split. Barnabas wants to, to bring John Mark with them again. And Paul says no. Why? Because remember I said earlier, Mark abandoned them. We don't know why, but at some point, Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas and went back to Jerusalem. Now, Mark, keep in mind, is Barnabas' cousin. So Barnabas sympathizes with Mark. Barnabas ends up taking Mark with him on a journey, missionary journey, and then Paul takes Silas. And this little disagreement, it tells us a couple things. One, it, it highlights the fact that the apostles were human, just like us. They had disagreements. They messed up at times. But it also shows us that God can use human failures to advance his kingdom. Because understand now there are two missionary teams. Remember, God's word and his gospel cannot be stopped. We're all created to play a part in the spread of the kingdom. So we can, we can either sit on the sidelines waiting for the perfect moment waiting until we're ready, supposedly. Or we can take a leap of faith and we can start living for the purpose that God has created us for. I don't know about you, but I want to be all in. I don't feel ready most of the time. I don't have all the answers, but I want to be all in. Are you with me? Let's risk it all for Jesus Christ.